Man, today is one of those days. If you look at me and say, Pastor looks a little dirty tonight. I did get all cleaned up before church, but earlier today a tire blew out on my car. And so I, I, my very first car was a Nissan Pathfinder. 1989 was the year of it. I was, that's not why I started driving. I was only four years old. But they had the spare tire on the back of it. And it was, that's how that was. This 2019, 2020, whatever year this thing is, you have to do all this stuff inside and get this tire to fall down from underneath because it's hidden. And then you got to get it to loosen itself. And we'll just say, that's one of those things where the older version was a much easier thing to take apart than this newer vi version one is. So, but that was a fun day. And uh, I got to take my mom to a doctor's appointment. And so be in prayer for her. They're doing some tests for dementia and things. The doctor asked her some questions, and then they wanted her to remember three words. They went back and asked her those words a few minutes later, and I'm like, I can't remember that middle word. <laughs> I'm like, I hope they don't ask me what that word was. And so, but uh, yeah, it's been one of those fun days today, but we're here tonight, and we're good. Joe put up a new thermostat in here, so it's working a little bit better. I think our thermostat was going out in here, because it would be set at 70, and it was still warm in here, and so... Now the air is working great. As long as the tithe and offerings stay great over the summer, the air will stay nice and cool. If they start dipping down, then we're going to have to start cutting the air just a little bit. And I'm teasing when I say all of that. We need to be in prayer for our country. And you think of all those innocent lives that were lost yesterday. And the wickedness, the wickedness of man on full display yesterday. And, uh, and then you see the craziness of politicians the next day using tragedies to try and uh, push their agendas. It's really a sick thing all the way around. And uh, what we need is God. We sang that song, Lord, I need you. Our country needs God. You want to fix these problems? You fix these problems by getting God back where he belongs in the hearts of people. You push him out of schools. You push him out of all of our young people. And that's what happens to a society. That's what the Bible teaches us, and we see that in the Bible. And so we, we need the Lord, and in these days we need him more and more. And just to be able to, you know, you start out that sh to choose own grandma to begin with. And then to go into a school with a room full of fourth graders. Just unbelievable. And so just be in prayer. Be in prayer for those families. And... Uh, and just be in prayer to the Lord in general. We need him. We need his help majorly. We're going to have a word of prayer tonight, and then we're going to get to the Bible study. Father, we're grateful for you. And I think about just, you look in our world, you look at everything that's going on around us everywhere, and what we see is, and what I'm grateful for, is the fact that we have you. There's so many people tonight that don't know you. I don't know where they turn to or what they do in moments of trouble. And I pray that you would just um, just guide Guide us, help us be a witness for you. Be with those that lost their children yesterday in that shooting. Be with uh, the teachers that passed away as well and those that were involved in all of that. And I pray that you would just um, get our eyes back to you and maybe something like this could help in that nature and not that, that even look at those things. But we just, we need you and we need your help. And I pray that you would guide us, help us live for you. Bless the service tonight. Thank you that we get to look at and we get to continue talking about doctrine tonight. Bless the time that we have. Help us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Does anyone need a 
lesson for tonight or a handout to t- put in notes. Anybody need that? A couple of you guys back there in the back. And so, of course, Louis, the furthest, furthest away. And Louis still limping around just a little bit. And so... And I told him we could have a race tonight after church, and he said no. So one of these days, maybe next week, Louis, somewhere in there. All right, we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture tonight. We're going to be looking at a lot of things for the during the summer, and I'm not sure how long it will go, but we're going to be talking about Bible doctrines for a while. And so it's an important thing for the believer and for the child of God to know what they believe and why they believe it. The problem we have in Christianity is today is most people don't know why they believe what they do, and it's sad, really. Most Christians do not know what they believe or why they believe it. Most other, you know, it's getting that way in all other religions, too. Most Catholics don't know why they're Catholic. They don't, they don't get it. They don't understand the difference between them and Christians. And Christians don't understand the difference between them. And so we could just look around, and the problem that we have is we just don't know the things of God like we need to. And so this series, the whole goal of this is to know what you believe and why you believe it. We started our Bible doctrines on the Word of God. The second month we took a little break, and I talked about how to study the Word of God. The third month we talked about God and the doctrine of God. We looked at last uh, month the person of Jesus Christ. And then tonight we are going to look at the work of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And there we go. Seated and good. You got that pen for Isaiah? You did all that work just for him? Very nice. You made her do all that for you? Man. That worked. That was pretty good. I was going to be like, man, Alyssa, you're really wanting a pen. She's doing it to be nice to Isaiah. He's graduating in a week, and he's already learning how to use people. No, I mean, he's already—I'm teasing with that. And so we're going to look at lots of things. I want you to take your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter 2, a lot of the verses tonight will be up on the screen. We'll be going through a lot of things about the work of Jesus Christ, and we'll begin with why we needed Jesus Christ. And a lot of these things say, well, Pastor, I know these things. Some of you in this room do know these things. Not everyone does, and so— And it's important that we study these things out, and there's a reason behind it. Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Number one, as we dive in and we look at the work of Christ, we see man's need for Christ's work. We needed Christ. I think you saw that in our saying tonight. I need thee. Lord, I need you. We need God. We could not fix the problem on our own. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve tried to fix the problem themselves, didn't they? They sewed some fig leaves together, and they tried to cover up sin. It did not work. God came 
and we've seen and we'll look at several things tonight but the problem is man could not do it on their own but that's the other thing god couldn't do it for man say well god did well you got to understand and put it into perspective god did god sin god cannot sin he cannot sin so man couldn't fix man's problem and god couldn't die or god couldn't fix it so god and man had to come together in jesus christ that's the only way we needed christ and his work you say well why because of how bad man is i want you to look with me and i think we got the verses on the screen tonight but when um, romans chapter 3 verse 10 through 12 the bible says as is written there is none righteous no not one there is none that understandeth there is none that seeketh after god they are all gone out of the way they are together become unprofitable there is none that doeth good no not one could it be any more pure plain and simple than that we see why what the problem is with man we go through it and we see number one underneath or let me give you letter a the condition of man man is totally depraved man has a lot of issues say what issues does man have i'm glad you asked let's go through the issues that we have number one there's none righteous there are none righteous no one is right with god what is god's standard perfection does any man meet up to god's standard of perfection no we don't there is none righteous none can measure up to god and when we think on those things the very best that you and i could do is filthy rags isaiah 64 verse number six but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away we see there the fact that our best is filthy rags the best that we could ever do so when we look at man's condition we see the fact that none and the bible makes it clear here in the book of romans none are righteous number two none understand none understand you say what are you talking about it says there is none that understandeth that's right what it says in romans chapter number three when we talk about those things unredeemed man has no spiritual capability of understanding god sometimes i look at this world and i look at people in this world and this is this is brian's thought how stupid can you be but you can be pretty stupid and ignorant and dumb when you don't have the lord because you aren't going to understand to me things look obvious to me, it's obvious to see that abortion is wrong, and it's murder. Someone who doesn't know the Lord, they don't see it that way. They don't understand. They don't understand God. You see what I mean? Sometimes you look at politicians and things, and you're like, I just don't get you. You belong on another planet, Gavin Newsom. You do. Just the, his tweets the past few days. But this is the thing. If he's a saved man, he is so far away from God, he doesn't have a clue what God's trying to say. But I tend to lean towards looking at fruit. He doesn't understand the things of God because he doesn't know God. 
And that's where this world, sometimes we look at people, how could they just be this way? They don't understand. They don't understand the things of God. Man, you think about this, our understanding has been darkened. When you're not saved, you don't have any light. And okay, let's think about this for a second. And have you look there in Ephesians 4 in a minute. But when we enter into this world, every person's giving a, given a little bit of light. Isn't that what the Bible teaches in John chapter number 1? And that light can be lightened, and not enough light to be saved, enough light to spur, to get our curiosity going, and to lead us to where we could get to the Lord if we want. But then you also have those that take and reject the light they've been given, and it's darkened in their life. Ephesians 4, verse 17 and 18 talks about this. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you walk not as the Gentiles walk in the vanity and the emptiness of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. There is none that are righteous. There is none that understand. Number three, None seek God. None seek God. That's what it says. Oh, but I was seeking for God. I hear people say that I was seeking for God, and then none seek God is what the Scripture says. Think about what the Bible tells us in John chapter number 6 and verse 44. It says, No man can come unto me, Except the Father which has sent me, draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last days. So in all reality, you don't seek God. God's been seeking you. We don't go to seek. Why? Because our understanding is darkened. In our natural, carnal state, we don't seek God because of our hard hearts. Did Pharaoh seek God? No, he had a hard heart. He thought he was God. And most human beings, they think they are God, if we're being honest. And they run their own lives. But there's none righteous, none who understand, none that seek God. What else does it tell us from Romans chapter number 3? All have turned aside. All have turned aside. Now, one of the things, if the Bible says, you know, a Baptist preacher, or I could get up here and say all or none, and you could be like, yeah, he's exa exaggerating a little bit. This is what the Bible says. All have turned aside. This comes straight from the Word of God. Who has man turned aside from? Man has turned aside from God. Unrighteous men who do not seek God and don't understand spiritual things turn aside and go their own way apart from God. That's what Isaiah 53, verse number 6 says. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So as we look at the condition of man, we see that none are righteous, none understand, none seek God, all have turned aside. Next, all become useless. All become useless. The Bible says they are together become unprofitable which means useless. If something is not profitable, it's useless, right? So that's what the Bible teaches us. And when we look at this and we think about this, what, how, what's, why are we useless? Because before salvation, we're spiritually dead. 
You cannot make a dead thing do anything. I guess you could watch a movie where the dead could make something do something, but that's not real. That's not how that works. A dead man cannot do anything. We're useless. We're unprofitable. This is our condition. And then we see, number six, that none do good. When we look and we think about it, wow, we really have some problems, don't we, as men? None do good. That's what the Scripture says. That comes straight from the Bible, not from my mouth, straight from God's Word. The Bible tells us in Titus 1, verse 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Now, as we talk about that, you've got to understand something. There are those out there that believe that men could never do a good deed. An unsaved person could help an old lady across the street. Is that a good deed? Yes. Can an unsaved person do something nice for someone else and do good in that realm? Yes, they can. Man is not incapable of doing good things here on earth. When we talk about none being good, we're talking about none of us can measure up to God. He, if you look at what is the standard of goodness, God is. We cannot measure up to that. What is the standard of righteousness? God is. We cannot measure up to this. Can we do good things? Yeah, we can do good things. But our good things don't compare to what he has done. And it makes us understand man's condition, we couldn't save ourselves. Man's been trying to save themselves for a long time. And men can't find their way out of a wet paper bag. But anyways, I'll leave that there and not go any deeper. We see the condition of man, letter A. Letter B, we see the consequences of man's condition. The consequences of man's condition. You say, what is our condition? Didn't we just talk about it? We just did. There's none good. There's none righteous. None that seek after God. None are profitable. Why is this? The problem is sin. Sin is the problem. And you think about when you think about sin, and when we talk about sin, the first thing um, we think about, number one, we see that sin is anything contrary to God. Sin, you, when we go down the list of sin, and you can have sin, you got listed in your notes, there are some things. Um, Jesus went to say that you even think wrong thoughts, it's sin. Didn't Jesus say that? You even think it in your heart, it's as if you're doing it. It's sin. In thought, we can sin. We can sin in word or in our speech. Colossians 3, verse number 8. We can sin in deed, in the deeds that we do. Then if we go a little bit further and we break down in deed, and these are words that you would hear more in a Bible college class that you wouldn't hear a lot in church and different things. But you could break sin down a little bit more to sins of commission. And that's breaking God's laws. And the Bible tells us in uh, 1 John 3, 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And then there's sins of omission. And that is not doing what you know to be right to do. The Bible tells us in James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is 
sin. Think in your mind for a second. I don't want you to say it out loud, but think in your mind of something you know that's good for you to do that you're not doing. We could go down a whole list. We all should know, according to the Bible, it is good for us to read God's Word. How many of you would agree it's good to read God's Word? So if you don't read God's Word when you know it's a good thing to do, what is that in your life? Sin. Is prayer a good thing? Yeah? Therefore to him that knoweth to pray, because it's a good thing to do, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We could go down a long list of things. You know, it's good to go to church. You know, where you draw the line, do you got to be in church every single time, and where do you draw that line? You can figure that out with God and yourself. I'm not, I'm not your Holy Spirit. That's you, you got a Holy Spirit. I tend to be in church anytime I can be in church. You say, well, you're the pastor. That's good, right? It'd be bad to have a pastor that didn't like being in church. That would not be a good thing. And I've seen a few churches where the pastor didn't like being in church, and they didn't have it very often. And so I like church. I do. But you look, you could just list the things. If you know something is good to do, do we know it's good to witness, that God wants us to witness? I think we'd all agree with that. And if you don't do it, then what are you doing? You're sinning. Is it good to give tithes and offerings to God? I think most of us in the room would say yes. So if you're not doing it, then what are you doing? You are sinning. We could go down a long list, lots of things, but I'll stop there because I don't want to get anybody mad at me tonight. And so we talk about sin. We think about, as we look at the consequences, we have sin in us. But then you've got to understand something. Number two, we are enslaved to sin. What does it mean to be enslaved to sin? Just think on that there for a second. We serve sin. That's what our life is. And you think about this. Who, who created us? Who made us? God did. We're slaves to sin. And he's willing to buy us back. Redeem us. We'll talk more about redemption and all those things when we get to salvation and the doctrine of salvation. But just when we think about these things, you've got to understand something. Man is a mess. Our condition, there's none good. There's none that seek after God. There's none righteous. And we could go on and on. We see the con sin is our problem. And sin, what are the consequences of sin? Death. Sin leads to death. Remember, Satan said, you're not going to die if you eat of the fruit. Physically, that day they did not die. Physically, that day they started aging. Spiritually, they died. Things changed from that very day. Death came about because of sin. And because of that, sin must be paid for. But what we've looked at so far tonight is man could not pay for man's sins. Because we can't. We're stuck in sin. We are incapable of saving ourselves. So we see, I want to give you this verse before we go further on tonight, but Romans 5, verse number 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. You see, this is where we get into, in order to understand the work of Christ and what he did, 
you must start look at the condition of man and the consequences of man's actions which leads to number two tonight the work of christ this is where we're headed tonight now i know you might be sitting here and you're thinking oh pastor you sound like you're just teaching the this is stuff this important stuff for a christian no and you young people in the room you know you could be light years ahead of a lot of the adults in this room and get it nailed down as a young person what you believe and why you believe it and then you'll have it set for your life be a great thing and so i would take advantage of these moments you're, you don't always get to be in church with me. I know I'm not as exciting as your junior church teacher. I don't jump around, and I don't give out a bunch of candy and all those things. But I guarantee you, if you just listen up and pay attention, save these things, someday it's going to benefit you a lot. Because there are a lot of churches you'll never hear any of this stuff in. And this is important stuff. And so we look at number two tonight. We see the work of Christ. As we talk about the work of Christ, it leads into letter A, the need for a blood sacrifice. Why did Jesus die? Couldn't, you know, some people, couldn't Jesus just, did he have to suffer? Did he have to die on a cross? Did he have to die the way that he did? Yes, he did. Blood had to be shed. You look, and we talked about it on Sunday a couple weeks ago about the Passover and how it worked. And the sacrificial system, God required the killing of a lamb as a sin offering. It's also God's, the wages of sin is death. Sin has to be paid for. You know, let's get honest tonight. We live in a world where everybody wants everything given to them. Somebody pays for everything, okay? There is no such thing as free. Say, oh, well, I might get free college. You can get your free college, but someone else is paying for that college. And it'll probably be your grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Nothing is free. A lot of people love those checks they were passing out a while back. You like the gas prices today? It might have been a good idea not to be passing out a bunch of checks. You like your grocery bill today? You like inflation? None of us do. What let, where did it come from? You pass out free money to people. It's going to come back somewhere. That It's just everything costs. Sin had to be paid for. The need for a blood sacrifice. When we talk about this and we understand this, Christ's death on the cross took the place of our spiritual death by making atonement, appeasement with God for our sins. When we think about this and we look at the fact, the need for a blood sacrifice, we see, number one, that forgiveness requires the shedding of blood. This is what the Bible teaches. In order for forgiveness of sin, shedding of blood was required. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And look at what it says. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no way to cure it. You cannot get rid of sin without the blood being shed. And that's what Jesus did. Forgiveness requires the shedding of blood. And then number two, God had set the requirements that the shedding of blood is required for the, for the atonement of sin. The Bible says in Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, 
and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. The blood of Jesus matters. And there have been those, and there are still those preachers today, that say the blood does not matter. I'm just going to tell you something tonight. Jesus' blood matters. And anyone who says differently is wrong because the Bible makes it clear the blood is very important. His blood was shed. We think about the fact there had to be a blood sacrifice. Um, next, number or letter B, we see Christ's humiliation. His humiliation. In order to be the perfect sacrifice for sin, the mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, had to both be God and man at the same time. That's why the verses we read a little bit ago, that he humbled himself. That's quite a bit of humility for the king of kings, the one who created this universe by speaking in, into existence, putting on flesh. It does not, and that's why I don't understand, and, and in my own life I look at myself sometimes, why can't I just be humble all the time? I have no reason to have pride in me. I should be humble in everything that I do because there is nothing really good about me. Yet Jesus humbled himself. The humiliation he put on himself. The, it's the greatest act of humility what Christ did coming to earth and putting on flesh. He had to set aside his glory, set aside his independent authority, and take on the form of a servant being despised and rejected of men. Christ's humiliation. Talk about Christ's work, we also see letter C. We see the crucifixion. The crucifixion. And if you notice there in your notes, I gave you a lot of verses that talk about the crucifixion there in your notes. The agony before the crucifixion. His arrest. His trial. His time before Pilate. We look at his scourging. We see his crucifixion. And we see his last words. We could talk about in his crucifixion there were events that took place that have never really taken place like that. Darkness covered the earth in the middle of the day. There were earthquakes. There were resurrections that took place. The Bible says there were resurrections. The temple veil was rent in two. A lot happened at the crucifixion for us. The tearing of the veil demonstrated that access to God was now open to man because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So we've seen tonight that man was incapable of themselves to get anywhere. We needed someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ. And he came, and we see that there was a need for a blood sacrifice, which he gave. We see the fact that he humiliated himself and he took upon himself the form of a servant. We've seen the crucifixion that he bore for us. We also see letter D, the judgment of God at the cross. The wrath of God was fully put on Jesus on the cross that day. You know, we'll sing that song, In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found. There were a lot of churches that when the Gettys wrote that song, they didn't want that song in their songbooks, and they didn't want to sing it in church, because the one phrase, the wrath of God was satisfied. 
but that's the truth. Jesus took our punishment. To understand the burden of Christ bearing the sins of all who would believe, you've got to understand something, that God's justice required that full punishment be paid for and it all be put on Christ. As Christ took our sin upon him, he became sin. And God the Father executed his judgment on Christ rather than on each individual sinner. Someday, those who have not received Christ and those who will die and go to hell in the lake of fire, they are going to pay for eternity for their own sin. And it will never be enough. That's why it's an eternal place of fire. Christ paid the price. Christ literally, you think about this tonight as saved children of God tonight, he literally took our hell. He took our place. He had God's wrath poured on him. And you think about this, the only time, you think about Jesus and all the times that he talked about his father. You heard him over and over again in the Gospels, my father, my father, right? On the cross, what did he say? My God. Because that relationship, God had to turn his own back on his son because of sin and because of what was taking place. And as we talk about the judgment, we got to understand some things. That Christ bore our sins. He became sin on our behalf. That's what he did for us. And this is the thing. I want you to see these verses on the screen. I didn't get to tell them that I wanted these verses out in front of you. So I'm going to turn there and I'm going to read them to you. But 2 Corinthians 5.21, I use this verse often. And it's one of those verses we should never take lightly. But it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 24, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. We see that Christ bore our sin and became sin on our behalf. Number two, our iniquity, our sin fell upon Christ. That's what the Bible says when you look in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 and Today, there are many Jews out there that can't, still can't understand that Isaiah 53 is referring to Jesus Christ. They think it's talking about their nation and all that they went through all the many years and things. But it's obvious to see it's about a person. It's about Jesus and what he did. But Isaiah 53, verse 6 tells us, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The Bible also tells us in number three when we talk about the judgment of God, God was pleased to crush the Son as a guilt offering. We talked about last week that grape juice that was made, those grapes were crushed. God literally crushed His Son for our guilt offering. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, same chapter, verse number 10, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased God to crush him. 
Think about that one right there. Jesus took our full punishment on the cross. And then we also see the number four, that Christ was forsaken by the Father. We see the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We see because of this work, number three, we see the provision of Christ's work in Roman numeral three. Sometimes, like tonight, I got one, two, three, and four, Roman numerals, A, B, C, all these different things. Roman numeral three is the provisions of Christ's work. Because of what Christ did, what did it do for us? Well, what it did for us, and when we look at these things, and as we go a little further tonight, we see that letter A, it reconciled us to God. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, verse number 10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. The word reconcile carries the idea of bringing again into harmony or bringing into agreement with. You see, man broke God's laws, broke God's covenant. And yet in Jesus Christ and what he did, what we gain by what Jesus did is the fact that we are reconciled, brought back into peace with God through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? We also see the fact that because of this, and as we look at this, that Jesus Christ is the answer to all of men's problems concerning salvation. Every single answer to any question about salvation, Jesus Christ is the answer. No one else could, because it had to be him that did it. And when he did it, he reconciled us to God by his death. No man could ever do what Jesus Christ did for us. Roman numeral number four. How are we doing? Everyone doing all right? We're getting there. We're on number four. We're on number four, rounding that finish line soon. As we look at number four, we see the resolution and the continuation of Christ's work. You see, Christ didn't stay on the cross, did he? There are those that still believe he's on the cross, but he's not still on the cross. He came down off the cross. They buried him in a tomb, and three days later he rose again and he conquered death, hell, the grave for us. And when we talk about the resolution, the continuation of Christ's work, as crucial as the death of Jesus was for our salvation, you've got to understand something. Without the resurrection, Christ's life, his sinlessness, and his sacrifice would all be meaningless. A dead Messiah would cancel everything out. We need a Savior that lives. And because of that, as we get to the end here, we see the fact, as we look at the resolution, the continuation of Christ's work, we see the power of the resurrection over death. Romans 1, 4, the Bible tells us, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. And not only that, but we see, as we talk about the continuation, we see the necessity of the resurrection. The resurrection is essential. Say, so, well, why is that? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 and 13. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you 
that there is no resurrection of the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And you can go further in those verses, and if Christ isn't risen, your faith is vain. Your loved ones, you'll never see them again. This life is miserable. If all you have hope in this life and nothing else, life's miserable. But because Christ rose from the dead, we have all these things that God has done for us. You see, as we look here tonight, you've got to understand something. We are a Bible-believing church. We are a Baptist church. Baptist by design, by distinction. We are a Baptist because of what we believe, where we stand on things. And, if you, and some people, I, I'll tell you, I'll be a Bible believer way longer than I'll ever be a Baptist. I'm a Baptist, though. If Baptists go down a different road, they can go do whatever they want to do. I'm going to follow what the Bible says. But it's important to understand that as you talk about doctrine, it all begins with God's Word. And it goes to who God is, who Jesus is, and what Jesus Christ did for us. If a church has it wrong on who Jesus is and the work of Jesus Christ, they're really not a church. They're really not a gospel-centered church. Because what it all depends... If you go to a church somewhere, you're trying to find a church, ask them what they believe about Jesus. It's a great place to start. There's other things you should find out too, but that's a good place to start, what you believe about Jesus. What we believe about Jesus this is what it comes down to. He's everything for salvation. I could never do it on my own, and it's all Jesus. That's what it is. Father, thank you.